Good morning to all of you. Good morning. My name is Jason. It's a pleasure to be here with you all today. I am hailing from down south, coming to you from San Diego this morning. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. I've never been to Branch of Hope and I've had some lovely conversations with your pastor in uh, recent times, and uh, you're blessed to have a shepherd like Paul. Uh, if you will, please open your Bibles and turn to Psalm 121. That's what we will be studying this morning, Psalm 121. Forgive me if I did not meet you this morning. Uh, one of the great difficulties of preaching at a church you don't attend is you don't get to talk to everybody that morning. There's just simply too many people to meet. And so um, hopefully after I can meet many of you. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's pray. We thank you that you, Heavenly Father, are a good, loving Father. That you protect your children. That you provide for your children. That you love your children. We thank you that you have given your Son the greatest gift of all for our salvation. We thank you for your word revealed to us, even to read from it this morning. To hear it prayed, to hear it sung, to hear it preached. We thank you for the light that it brings. And so we ask this morning that you, Holy Spirit, would open our hearts. That you would drive the truth and the reality of your word deep into our souls to open our eyes to see yet again that you are God and we are but flesh and blood in need of a Savior. And that you will one day come again to make all things new. And so we ask this morning, make us like you, Jesus, by the Spirit, we pray in your precious name. Amen. So last night in preparation for uh, the sermon, I was looking at the news and what did I see? I typed, you know, typed in Google World News just to see what was going on. And there's a lot happening, isn't there? Uh, you see things about Omicron and nations shutting borders down. Uh, as was mentioned in the prayer already, the tornado that swept through and killed many, many people. Uh, talk about inflation in the state of California and how that is not very helpful for you or myself. Uh, talk about China, Russia, trucks crashing, many, many people dying. And what's the result of that? When you read the news, when you look at what's going on in the world around you, what does that stir within you? For me, it, it kind of creates this slow simmer, a simmer of sort of angst, tenseness, unease, dread, that sort of heavy, hollow feeling that 
things just aren't always that great. And the world around us is right to be concerned, right? Much of why we look at the news is to be aware, and it makes us concerned. But the answers that the society gives us around us are things like, well, there is a method, there is a technique to get through the difficulty of this time. There's a pill that you can take, there's a technology you can use to try to get through the problems that surround you. But if you pay attention to this news, if you keep watching the news feed, you'll see often these methods, these techniques, the pills, the technology is often insufficient And they themselves will, in the end, fail. And the thing is, as Christians, we have a protector. We have one who oversees and watches you to take care of you. We have a good Heavenly Father in Heaven. However, there are constant threats on the journey of life that we all are walking through. And that's in many ways what Psalm 121 is attacking and going right into. There are many, many threats on the pilgrimage into the celestial city as a Christian. Our church was going through Pilgrim's Progress recently in our adult Sunday school, and I hadn't read it for a long time. And it is a fantastic story. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I really highly recommend it. It is very much worth your time. But Christian, the main character, is on his journey. And it's full of threats and dangers of a wide variety throughout the whole time. Until he gets to the very, very end. And it's only after he passes through the dark river of death that he meets the world to come where there is no more pain and grief and sorrow. And that's what Psalm 121 is about. We are still on this side of reality. Still on that journey with many threats. It could be in your life certain influences on your children that are concerning. It could be crypto has dumped and funds are not doing that great. It could be cancer. It could be the reorganization of your very large-scale company and things are concerning for your job. It could be the promiscuous and aggressive coworker who will not stop badgering you. There are many, many threats for the Christian every day. And think about this. Is the world becoming more static, more predictable, more certain? Not at all. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. Uh, This is really Psalm 120 through 134. All of these psalms are looking forward on a march to Zion, sung by the pilgrims who are likely caravanning together through Israel as they were heading up through the land to get to Jerusalem so they could get to the temple. And likely these psalms were sung as these caravans were traveling together in community, kind of like um, old hymnals that people would sing together as they traveled. Many of these psalms were like that as they were going to Jerusalem. Psalm 121, though, is interesting because it promotes or it's discussing something that's more like an internal dialogue. The psalmist as an individual is thinking through things. The psalmist as a person inside is having a conversation with themselves about the threats of life. And so this morning, before we get into the text, it is helpful to think about when you do have threats, when you have problems, when these things confront you, 
Where are the first places that you go for protection? What's the internal dialogue in your mind when these threats come against you? Thankfully, we have a defender, we have a guardian, we have a great Heavenly Father. And really, the basic idea of Psalm 121 is this. It's four words, or I should say five. The Lord is your protector. The Lord, the Lord is your protector. He is a powerful protector. He is an attentive protector. And He is a complete protector. And those are going to be our three points. Powerful protector, attentive protector, and a complete protector. Point number one, your powerful protector. Uh, Read with me again verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. So the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, or even another translation is to the mountains. He's looking to the mountains. And in Scripture, this idea, this imagery of lifting up their eyes, casting your eyes on something, often has to do with desire. Think about Eve in the garden, right? She looks at the fruit and it was sweet delicious, lovely to her eyes. You think about Potiphar's wife. She casted her eyes on Joseph because she desired him. And so the psalmist is looking to the mountains in desire. And the question is, which mountain is he looking towards? And he's looking towards Zion. He's looking towards Jerusalem. Now, why is the psalmist looking towards Jerusalem? Why is he desiring Jerusalem? It's because who dwells there? The temple is in Jerusalem, and the Lord himself in glory dwells in his temple above the ark, and he's looking to God for help. And he's in great need. The psalmist is not able to confront whatever it is that is coming against him. Pretty recently, we had a pretty big shakeup in our family, and I remember thinking as I heard some pretty hard news, nothing really tragic, but still difficult for us. I had to go on a long walk, and I remember actually thinking for a split second, like, okay, now it's time to wake up. And I was still there. It was not a dream. It was all real. And in many ways, the psalmist is confronted like that in a situation where he cannot do what is needed in and of himself. And so read with me in verse 2. He says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. From the Lord. And how does he describe him? The maker, the creator of heaven and of earth. And he shows us this, and he speaks of the Lord as the maker of heaven and earth to show one very important thing. His protector is incredibly powerful. Just a few Psalms later, Psalm 124, the same language is used by the psalmist to show the Lord's great power since he has made all things. Have you ever asked someone for help and they were not able to help you? When I was a kid, I used to ask my mom for help with my math homework and I very quickly realized she, that just was not, she owned a cleaning business. That was not her wheelhouse, you could say. Maybe you've asked somebody for help on your car and they couldn't figure it out. Maybe you've asked a grandson for help with the computer and they couldn't figure it out. It's tough when you need help and you ask someone who has a good intention, but they're simply not able. 
And the more difficult the problem, the more complex the issue, the more powerful the helper needs to be. The person who helps you move isn't necessarily going to be the person who helps you raise somebody from the dead, are they? The greater the issue, the more power that is needed. And the psalmist says, my helper is the creator. In Genesis 1, the one who speaks all things into existence simply by the word of his power. Let there be light. Let there be the sea. Let there be all the animals. He speaks and all things happen. This is the one who not just creates, but then upholds all things by the word of his power. We see in Hebrews 1 that it is his word that holds the world in existence still right now as you and I sit here. The very cells in your body, your heart pumping, your brain working and functioning is upheld by his power right now. And in Ephesians 1 it tells us, right, that all things happen according to his will and still today he controls all that takes place. Nothing is outside of his decree outside of His will, or outside of His sovereign power in any way. I study the book of Revelation. It's kind of one of the things I've spent many years looking at now, and I know you guys are going through it, I think, even as we speak. And one of my favorite things is the Lord not just made all things, or upholds all things, or controls all things, but He will make all things new. What's the very end of that book? He will create a new heavens and a new earth, a world beyond sin and death and grief and pain. That is the power of the psalmist helper. He is always able. It doesn't mention, it doesn't matter if it's early onset dementia. It doesn't matter if you don't yet have a job. It doesn't matter if your children are going sideways. It doesn't matter if you don't know if you can stay in California. He is still able. All those things are difficult and real, but he has all power and authority. My kids, being very young and naive, think I'm very able and can do almost anything. It's often humbling. But God's kids, they're not naive. He can do anything. Man fails. The Lord cannot fail. So today in your sort of internal monologue, the conversation you have with yourself on a long drive, on a long walk, when life is hard? Are you thinking about the power of your maker, of your protector? He is the one who stopped the sun, the one who parted the sea, who gives sight to the blind, who raises the dead, and if you've come to Christ, the one who changed your rebellious, hardened, stone-like heart. He has all power. So point number one, your protector is powerful. Point number two, you have an attentive protector. Read with me again verses three through four. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Your foot will not slip because your Lord does not sleep. You cannot be tripped up because he is always watching. I went to the beach. We lived in England for a few years. And I grew up near the ocean. 
And when you grow up near the ocean, you're driving on the five, it just, anywhere you go, the ocean is always next to you. And when you finally leave the ocean for a long time, you, you realize how much you miss it. And so we were in England for three years. We came back. And right when we moved home, the first thing my family wanted to do was just go to the beach as much as humanly possible. And so we were in, staying in San Clemente, where I'm from. My son and I, we went to Dana Point. I took him to the uh, Dana Point tide pools, which was great. He's only four years old. And he's used to, you know, lovely English green grass and flat land. And now he's in these tide pools, walking over these huge rocks, you know, carved in through the ocean, gigantic stumbling opportunities at every step. And he and I are walking together, having some father-son time. And I'm here, it's kind of like mid-afternoon, beautiful day, when the sun kind of gets low and the sea has that just sparkling white dazzle. And I'm kind of taking it all in. And while I'm not paying attention to him, he's slipping up. He's stumbling. He's almost falling over on these pretty dangerous rocks. And so it takes me to put my eyes back on him, to grab him, and to help him so he does not fall. And as a failing, finite father, I will take my eyes off my children. I will get distracted by beautiful things around me. But your Lord does not slumber. He does not get distracted. He does not sleep. He does not take his eyes off of his people. One reason I think the psalmist uses this language as well of sleeping is because in the ancient Near East, in the, the neighbors of Israel, many of the gods were thought to have be those who slept like human beings. Many of these false gods were sort of just projections of humans into just greater, more powerful forms. And some of the texts in Babylon speak of a worldwide universal flood, but it was caused because all these human beings were being very loud and noisy, and the gods couldn't sleep. And so what did the gods do? Well, they wanted to get some rest, so they sent a gigantic flood to kill the whole world so they could get some sleep. Now, we've all heard that story. We've heard the true version, not the telephoned Babylonian version that's getting washed out later on. Or there's another text in Babylon who speaks of a worshiper of a Babylonian god, and he's crying out for justice. He really needs help. Somebody has wronged him. Something bad has taken place that was not his fault. So what does he do? He cries for help to his God. He cries, he pleads his case, but the problem is the do not disturb sign is on his God's door. He's taking a rest. The God has worked hard all day, so he needs to take a break. And so your request, it'll be treated, but just take a number, sit down, I'll get to you later on. But the God of the Bible is not like that. The God of Scripture needs no rest. However, every false protector, every false God that you and I are tempted to follow will slumber and sleep in some way. If it's money, and making a lot of money, having a lot of money is a God that we think will protect us, one day it will fail. One day it will not be enough to help. If it's success, that cannot, have to, that cannot handle all the problems that will come. If it's finding someone who really knows you and loves you and will not leave you, if you think that's going to be the thing that holds your life together, something will come. Every false God and false protector is not sufficient. But the God of Scripture needs nothing. He needs no sleep. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. 
He doesn't need any rest. And He knows all things. He knows what you need. He knows the threats. He knows what you want, where you're going, the problems you have. He even can look on the horizon and see all that is coming. He is attentive and He will not take His gaze off of His people. If it's a hard pregnancy, if it's the fact that you cannot sleep, if your investments are not doing well, if you have a stubborn elderly parent that is being selfish and making your life hard, He sees and He knows. But why does the psalmist say three times that he does not sleep? Look at this again. Three through four. He will not slumber. He shall neither slumber, nor will he sleep. Why does he have to say it three times in two verses? I think one reason why is because often life feels like the Lord is sleeping. Sometimes as a Christian, we know and confess and believe all of these things wholeheartedly. But it, th- it seems like, Lord, are you awake? Do you see what is happening here? And what I tend to do at that point in time is then I begin to think of, well, I need to handle this on my own. And when I begin to think I need to take care of it by myself, that's when the real angst and the real dread and the real anxiety begins to set in because, wow, this is big, I am small, and I need to work very, very hard. We are all prone to give in to this lie. And the fact is the Lord does allow suffering, doesn't He? 1 Peter 3 says, if it is the Lord's will for you to suffer, the Lord often does things that are mysterious. His ways really are above our ways, aren't they? He will allow us to endure things that are difficult, though He is our watcher, our protector, our guardian, the one who oversees our souls. But it is not without purpose. What others mean for evil, He always means for good. But when things are difficult, He sees our hurt, He sees our worry. And as a good Father, He upholds us. He strengthens us. He brings us up so that we can endure for His glory. So we have a powerful protector We have an attentive protector. And thirdly, we have a complete protector. Verses 5 through 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Back then, ancient Near East, living in a desert, the sun is a big problem, isn't it? If you're on a long journey, you don't have a lot of water. That could mean death. But also, too, the moon in many of these other ancient neighbors was seen to be a powerful force that could bring disease and all sorts of things. And so the psalmist here is using the things in his culture to say, no, all these things the other pagans around us think can harm and hurt, even these great powers, the sun and moon, they are creatures. They are under his authority. He is the shade from the sun and the moon around you. They are false gods compared to the one and true God. But read again further, 7 through 8. He says, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out, your coming in from this time forth and evermore. So the language here between verses 5 through 8 is showing totality. Sun, moon, 
day, night, going out, coming in, right now, forever. The extensiveness and the comprehensiveness of his protection. It is total and complete. There is no threat. There is no move. There is no time in which he is not our protector. And the result should be that we trust. The result should be that we lay down our life in the hand of the king. But we often fear, don't we? As feeble creatures and human beings, it is difficult to believe and trust in our king. But think for a minute. How would your life be different if you really did believe this? If there was no time where he did not protect, if there was no movement of going in or going out, if there was no moment, day or night that he did not truly preserve you, how would life be different? What would you say to your friends? What would you think about at night? How would you be with commitment, serving, failure? How would things be different? We're not confident because problems are big and we are small. But we have a protector. We have a Lord who oversees. The irony is though, when we deny Him, when we don't believe and embrace Him, we act like He is not powerful. We act like He is asleep. And so what we should do in these moments of difficulty is look to the Lord who doesn't just oversee all these things. He's not just the powerful, attentive, comprehensive protector. This is the Lord who walked the dangerous journey just like we have. This is the Lord who became flesh, was exposed to the miseries of this life. Christ became like us. That's what we celebrate this time of year, right? He takes on human nature, gets confronted by all the problems of life that we are also confronted with. He being the powerful creator becomes powerless. The one who speaks all, thing, all things into existence becomes a baby so that he cannot even yet speak. Endures miseries, execution, trial, powerless on the cross. The one who is attentive in heaven now went to the cross, bears your guilt, so that the Father turns his face away, so that he is forsaken and abandoned. And the one who completely watches over us protects us from the hot wrath of the Son, endures the complete wrath of the Father, satisfies all justice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The Creator and Maker became like us to save us. And it's worth considering this. Why can the psalmist assume that the infinite Maker protects him? So fully, so powerfully, so attentively. Why can we as Christians right here, right now, in the chairs, believe this? That God really does protect us this way. Is it because we are so great? 
Is it because we are so worthy of this perfect, lovely, infinite, comprehensive protection? Do we deserve this? And the answer is, as a Christian, no, we don't. As human beings that have failed and have broken his law, we do not deserve his unending, perfect guardianship. We deserve justice. And yet, if you have come to Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus by faith alone this morning for salvation, you are in Christ. And therefore, this great maker and protector sees you as righteous, as worthy, and as holy and perfect as his own son. And therefore, he loves you as a perfectly father, a perfect heavenly father, because he sees you as a perfect child. But that's not something we did. It's because the Savior has given us that as a gift. May we remember that. The constant threat on this dangerous journey will come. The world is ever-shifting and getting more complex, more uncertain. Alarms will fail. Money will not be enough. Owning guns is nice, but doesn't always work. Medicine cannot handle everything. Intelligence cannot overcome every problem. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your defender. The Lord is your preserver, your guardian, and your keeper. It is the Lord who oversees you. So may we trust the one who walked the dangerous journey for us this morning, who endured all the threats for us. May we stop focusing on ourself and the problems and may we look to the King. Amen. Let's pray. We're thankful, Lord, that we have these promises. We're thankful that you do love your people so graciously. We ask that you'd help us to believe and embrace these realities, that you are the great keeper of your people. As we suffer, as we endure the difficulties of this world, may we trust you. May we look to you by faith. May we continue to partake of the means of grace. May we still serve those around us. May we still be selfless and count others as more significant than ourselves, even when life is hard. We can only do this by your strength through the Spirit. And so we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen.